It's the Kim Munson Show, analyzing the most important stories. An early childhood taxing district, what on earth is that? The latest in politics and world affairs. I don't think that we should be passing legislation that is so complicated that people kind of throw up their hands and say, oh, I can't understand it. Today's current opinions and ideas. It is not fair that just because you're a big business that you get a break on this and the little guy doesn't. Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation. Indeed. Let's have a conversation and happy Friday. Welcome to the Kim Munson Show. I am Kim Munson. And yes, we're going to have a conversation about a whole bunch of stuff going on out there. Thank you so much for listening. Each of you are treasured. You're valued. You have a purpose. Uh, Live with intention, strive for excellence and take care of your heart, your soul, your mind and your body. And thank you to this great team I work with, producer Steve, Zach, Patty, Keith, and Charlie, and all the people here at Crawford Broadcasting. Happy Friday to, t- uh, to you, producer Steve. Yes, thank you very much, and uh, same to you. <laughs> and be sure and go to my website. There's a lot of great information there. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. You can email me at Kim at Kim Munson dot com as well. Sign up for our weekly newsletter. And uh, I think most of you know that I self-fund all of this because I so appreciate having an independent uh, voice and I can uh, get guests on that I, I think that you uh, want to hear up, hear from and also subjects that are so important. But I uh, greatly appreciate all the partners that I work with regarding the advertising sponsorship, but also would love to have you help us. You can contribute at the website as well. This Sunday, we've got something really special on America's Veteran Stories with Kim Munson that uh, broadcasts on KLZ 560 AM and KLZ 100.7 FM. This Sunday, 3 to 4 p.m., it's uh, part two of our interview with Don Whipple, World War II Marine Iwo Jima veteran. Do not miss it. Right, Steve? Absolutely. Again, I, my hat's off to these guys. Every time I hear the hear them tell their story, and they do it with such passion, and you know, more often than not, with very great memory, uh, it's just something that you you need to hear. Well, and the thing about it, Steve, is I've probably now interviewed 160, 170 World War II veterans, and then Korea veterans, Vietnam, and some of the younger guys, uh, but. Combat seems to be something that is seared in people's memories. And uh, most of these guys can remember combat like it was yesterday. Well, I, I, I have no doubt that uh, these guys, especially, well, okay, we, we think of D-Day. Uh, there's been all kinds of great depictions of what that must have been like. Not so much maybe in the Pacific Theater, uh, but still it had to be awful, especially when you knew... Uh, what a formidable foe that the Japanese were. And, uh, you know, taking prisoners was not their thing. That's true. And we have a real ideological foe going on right now. We are engaged in a great, and I say great in air quotes, battle of ideas. And it's whether or not we are going to adhere to this vision of the American idea that is in the Declaration of Independence, that all men are created equal, um, and that we have rights, and all, all men are created equal by God, and that we have these rights from God of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Or the other thing that's on the table is, are people uh, judged by the descriptor, whatever the descriptor that they're carrying around? And what happens is, is then you are just part of a group. And some in that group 
will, um, through public policy, through bureaucrats, politicians, and interested parties, they'll choose who gets to rise to the top of that group. Uh, and very few can then rise any further than than that. But if you are using public policy to raise up one group, that means you're going to have to put down another group. That is antithetical, Steve, to the American idea. You're, you're not. I don't think you're ready to talk about it quite yet. But you just described this thing that's going on with GameStop in terms of one group rising up and you know, <laughs> pushing another group down. <laughs> I can't wait to talk to uh, Jason McBride at the bottom of the hour on this, if you haven't been watching this, and he'll talk about it. It's a short squeeze. And uh, what happens is, is in the stock market, uh, there you can actually short a stock. So you can sell a stock. Uh, you know what? We'll talk with Jason when he calls in at about oh, 624, 625 on that. But we'll explain it. And uh, the big guys are getting burned on that. So now what is happening is you're seeing uh, like Janet Yellen, uh, who is the Treasury Secretary, start to think about, well, we need to do something. The big guys have been doing these short squeezes all the time. But now it looks like a, a group of small investors went in and uh, did a short squeeze on the big guys. And of course, then they're running to uh, uh, mommy and daddy, and that's the and that's Congress and all the bureaucrats, and saying, wait a minute, we want you to do something. So that's going to be really fascinating. And my friends, we look at these issues as freedom versus force, force versus freedom. Uh, ultimately, socialism Communism comes down to force, and it's never compassionate to take other people's rights, their property, their freedom, or their livelihood via force, whether with a weapon, policy, unpredictable and excessive taxation, or fear. If something is a good idea, then you shouldn't need force to implement it. Those words right there, Steve. When you are conversing with those kids that have gone to college and have been indoctrinated, this is this is the core thing. And, and to ask them, is it okay to take other people's stuff? And hopefully most people will say no, Steve. Well, they get hung up on that word free, uh, freebies, and they don't realize they're taking other people's stuff. They, they just see that word free. And, and, you know, the other side of it, when you just went down the list of things, uh, most of them have never seen, like, their property taxes go up 27% in one year. So they don't get a feel for this. And that is... I, I'm going to take that and say that is our education system. Uh, and I would encourage all of you to go uh, through DuckDuckGo, which is a search engine that doesn't track you, and look for the uh, uh, Salinas County, uh, Kansas, uh, Salinas County 8th grade examination from, I think it's like 1895 or 1898. And uh, they used to say, oh, they just had an 8th grade graduation or 8th grade, uh, just graduated 8th grade. That's it. Well, if you take a look at that, I'm going to say that there's probably a number of kids that have graduated with masters or doctorates that cannot answer those questions. In fact, I shouldn't act so uh, self-righteous on it because at this point, I can't answer all those questions. And that is where I think we need to be going with education. And uh, we'll talk about a couple of other things regarding education here in just a minute. Uh, we're going to have uh, Dr. Brian Dimitrovic on. You know him. He is a senior fellow, the Richard S. Strong Senior Fellow at the Author Laffer Center. And he is an economic historian. And he has uh, uh, co-written a book with Larry Kudlow, JFK and the Reagan Revolution, A Secret 
history of America's prosperity, which we should all probably dust that off and read that, as well as Econoclast. And he'll be in the third and fourth segment. So with that, I thought I'd go to some capitalism quotes. And Ayn Rand is uh, one of those that uh, really has talked about capitalism. And she was a Russian-American writer and philosopher. She's known for her two best-selling novels, The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged, and for developing a philosophical system she named Objectivism. She was born and educated in Russia, and she moved to the United States in 1926. She was born in 1905 and died in 1982. And, Steve, it seems that under, well, under socialism, what we've seen, and I've had conversations since the 80s with people that I didn't realize were really pushing uh, socialism, uh, and I realized that they would demonize business. The businessman, the small businessman here in Colorado, we talked to uh, many of our small business people here in Colorado, and down at the Capitol, they seem to think that small to mid-sized businesses are this uh, gravy train that they can just keep taking more and more money from. And uh, government uh, doesn't create anything. It only takes from one and then redistributes to someone else. And many times that person they redistribute it to is your politicians and your bureaucrats and your interested parties. So this is what Ayn Rand said. She said, a businessman cannot force you to buy his product. If he makes a mistake, he suffers the consequences. If he fails, he takes the loss. I'm just going to interject. And this whole too big to fail was never a good idea because they'd made decisions, these big businesses, and then they did not want to be held accountable and what happened is then they went to the politicians and bureaucrats and interested parties, the PBIs, and they said, hey, we're too big to fail. You need to bail us out. And so what happens is they go to the taxpayer or they print money, which uh, takes money from our next generation or takes money from you via inflation to pay for that. So continue on. It says, if a bureaucrat makes a mistake, you suffer the consequences. If he fails, he passes the loss on to you. So you can see the everyday hardworking American is on on the platter for the meal uh, either way right now, it seems, Steve. Well, in that quote, she she nails down the whole, the whole reason why bigger government, more government is not the answer to anything, because this is the, the end, the end uh, result. It is the end result. And when I, I was on city council, I would hear this bantered about by, by both Democrats and Republicans, public-private partnership, public-private partnership, and how great that is. And they use the word stakeholders. And Patty's found a, a, a headline a little bit later. Is, is stakeholders the new name for fascism? And who is stakeholders exactly? But a public-private partnership, let's think about it. If you're a private business... Are you going to want to go in and put your your business, your services on the line? You're going to risk that uh, and then not want to be guaranteed something back. Again, under public-private partnerships, who ultimately, if something fails, will be on the line? And it's going to be the taxpayer. So anytime you hear the term public-private partnership, that could be another name for big government, big business, cronyism. And uh, we can now see, my friends, we have to step up 
and become involved in these local elections, our city councils, our mayors, our county commissioners. And we need to start to um, roll back all of these boards and commissions that uh, all of these different local governments and county governments and state government has put in place because we are supposed to be a government of the people by the people. And that means that the decision makers need to be accountable to you and I, and they hide behind then these boards and commissions, but guess what? They're the ones that put the people on these boards and commissions so that many times they can get the decision or recommendation coming out of these boards and commissions that they want. And then they hide behind it saying, Oh, that we have heard from the people. And uh, so I, I hope that I'm starting to close some loops for you when you're starting to become involved in your communities because uh, we can see that that is uh, super, super important. Before we go to break, it is so important to get together with friends and family and to see them face to face. And a great place to do that is Hooters Restaurants. They have five locations, Lone Tree, Westminster, Loveland, Colorado Springs, and Aurora. And uh, they have all kinds of specials. Wednesdays are Wings Day, which that's a great day. That's uh, And it, the special is available for to-go or dine-in. You can buy 20 wings and get 10 for free. I love the Texas barbecue rib. But they have lunch specials and happy hour specials. And it is time, uh, unless you have some underlying com- condition or some big reason why you can't get together with friends and family, it's time to do that. So go to HootersColorado.com for more information. That's HootersColorado.com. We'll be right back with some more headlines. And then Dr. Brian Dimitrovic will be with us in segments three and four. Stay tuned. Now more than ever, it is important to have independent voices bringing truth and clarity to the issues facing us, our families, our communities, our state, our nation, and our world. The Kim Munson Show is one of those important voices. Kim is a truly independent entrepreneur. She purchases her broadcast time, which gives her total freedom in production of the show and scheduling of guests. If you'd like to support The Kim Munson Show, go to her website, kimmunson.com and click on the contribute button under Kim's picture. Kim greatly appreciates your help and support. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I am Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there uh, where you will get first look at all of our upcoming guests as well as our most recent podcast, our most recent op-eds. And then those go over to the website and you can just click on the picture and uh, you will get the whole recap and the podcast there as well. And you can email me at Kim at Kim Munson.com as well. And uh, I have, uh, it's been a a hair on fire busy week. And I've had some really thoughtful emails that have come in that I've not responded to. All of them are very thoughtful, but some of them are longer. And as to those of you that have sent those, I will be getting back to you this weekend because I need to to really think about what you had to say. And I really appreciate that. Steve, one year ago at this time, the American economy was booming. Unemployment for blacks, Hispanics, and women were at historic lows. Taxes had been lowered, and the average middle-class family's income had increased nearly $6,000. That's that's a lot of money. The China virus hits, Joe Biden sworn in as president, and with the stroke of a pen, we're now, what, uh, seven plus two. And you, it's unbelievable how many jobs have been lost with the... Um, 
a cancellation or of the Keystone Pipeline. Uh, he says that there's not to be any drilling, oil and gas drilling on federal lands. And with the stroke of a pen, instead of creating jobs and empowering everyday people to take care of themselves, uh, he is doing things to try to make people more and more dependent on PBIs. And you can see that they typically don't have your best interest in mind, Steve. Well, in October, he made the statement, he was being interviewed, and he said, anyone who governs via executive orders is a, a dictator. Now, if he would have said that 10 years ago, 12 years ago, you, you might have, eh. but that was just in October, he made that statement. And now we're, we are just standing here aghast at what he's doing. It is. And uh, another thing, though, uh, on the federal level, this is from Colorado Politics, it says that Michael Bennett is one of 38 Democrat senators behind legislation to raise the federal minimum wage to $15. Now, we have talked, uh, and you could call this the Youth uh, Unemployment Act, if you will. And if kids can't get that first job, then how do they learn the skills to be able to move up into higher paying jobs? Because if you make labor so expensive, and it's not just the $15, it's the other taxes and fees that are on top of that. So like your Social Security has to be paid by both both the employer and the employee. Medicare has to be paid both by the employer and the employee. In essence, then, it's pushing people to... Uh, or businesses to, instead of hiring people, it's pushing them towards automation. And as Susan Kochevar, who is an entrepreneur and owner of the 88 Drive-In Theater, she was on Fox National News just recently, Steve. Don't know if you saw the YouTube clip on that. But she was asked uh, if what she thought about rich people. And she said, I like rich people. She said, in fact, I think we should have more rich people instead of less rich people. And when you start to put in policies like this, you're going to have less rich people. And the great thing about the American idea is this big, broad middle class, which is based on, first of all, property rights. But the other thing is, is the right to negotiate. And that is that you come in and say, hey, business person, I would like to work for you. And they say, well, this is the job that I have. And this is the skills that I'm looking for. And I'm willing to pay X for that. And there's a negotiation between the employer and the employee. And if the employee, potential employee, doesn't have the skills but wants that job, then they have to figure out how to get those skills. Or they may say, hey, I'll take a little bit less in pay, but I really want to get the job and I can learn on the job. And so the fact that Michael Bennett is trying to force a force, again, there's that word, a federal minimum wage, what's going to happen is there's going to be less people that's entering the workforce and it's going to affect their long-term prosperity, Steve. Well, I'm dating myself here. I shouldn't go here. But uh, when I first entered the workforce in the 70s, I was in high school, minimum wage was $1.65. Within a matter of (laughs) of a month, I remember it going to $1.75. And okay, you know, but it was what it was. I didn't have the high expectations. Maybe it's what kind of helped steer me towards the military. Because, you know, you can't make a living here. But it wasn't artificially stimulated like this is. I, I look at this, these 38 Democratic senators, and I can only come up with a, a two-word description, and it's vote buying. 
Well, and ultimately, and we continue to see that that is what socialism, moving towards socialism is, is you can vote your way into socialism, but it's really tough to get out of it. And socialism, my friends, is not about free stuff. Uh, all these kids are being told in, um, in high school, college, I think even in junior high, uh, that uh, they should get free stuff. And it's not about free stuff because there is nothing free. What it means is, is that government, these PBIs, are willing to take from somebody else, quote-unquote, to give to somebody else. And, of course, the PBIs take their cut as the money goes by. But uh, there is no free lunch. They have to take it from somebody to give to another. And once you have PBIs taking the bulk of people's hard-earned dollars, their prosperity, we move away from a, uh, a the great idea of a big, broad middle class, and what happens is, is you get into the elites, and then everybody else is equal. They have equity in their misery. Well, we used the word before, the elites and, and the GameStop thing. It's the elites who are who are crying foul right now because their little game has been, you know, kind of discovered. But we have a list somewhere, we've talked about it before, about the, the essentials or the fundamentals of governance. And yet these people in government will continually step outside those lines, like you just said, you know, to take their piece uh, of it. Or, you know, again, I say vote buying, uh, and it has nothing to do with good governance. Well, and Steve, there's two ways to make money. One is to earn it, and the other is to steal it. And you can steal it, as I say at the beginning of the uh, the show. You can steal it via, via with a weapon, but you can use excessive uh, taxation, unpredictable taxation, or you can use policy. Or here we've seen uh, basically stealing people's livelihoods via the whole COVID-19 Wuhan virus reaction disruption. And isn't it a miracle that we are seeing these uh, blue states and blue cities open up right now. What a miracle. Again, seven days plus two since Joe Biden was inaugurated. And all of a sudden, we are starting to see these cities open up. I find it absolutely fascinating. I'm not sure miracle. I mean, yes, we say that uh, euphemistically, I guess. but Tongue in cheek, yeah. All those other things you just said a little while ago about where we were last January, Trump had to be stopped. They could not take any more of this good news. And, you know, lo and behold, the virus comes along, but all these artificial means of suppressing the economy. And now all the, you know, like you said, miracle of miracles, these blue state governors are starting to pull back. And uh, all this draconian stuff seems to be slowly slipping away. Like, go figure. Yeah. I do want to mention one other thing. I'm trying to find it in in uh, our headlines here, and I may have to just do this from memory, that Patty had uh, found this, that in Ames, Iowa, heartland of America, that uh, transgenderism is being taught at, even at the preschool level. And as parents, I think that we have to ask ourselves that there's only a certain amount of hours in the day, Steve. And there's only certain a certain amount of hours in the school day as well. And we have seen that many of our children are being, uh, uh, they're, they're not being taught to read and write, do arithmetic, the values of the American idea, our American history. And I think as a parent, you need to be active in and watching what's happening in uh, preschools 
and in public education. And I really think that we need to take a gut check now. We're having kids that graduate from college that uh, don't have the skills for uh, getting a job. They're told that they are, have, that they, uh, should get a, a lot of kids think that they should get a certain job and it should pay so much. Or you see these kids going into debt to get also MBAs and they get out and they're like, well, wait a minute. I'm not getting the corner office. I'm not getting the salary that I thought that they kind of promised me that I would. And I think we need to take a big gut check on this. And again, there's only a certain amount of hours in the day. What do you want your children or grandchildren to be learning? And I think that reading, writing, arithmetic, and American history should probably be, be above transgenderism. Uh, and starting this at the preschool level is, I think, astounding. I, I remember, really, kids at the preschool level, they're just trying to figure out how they can stand in line and learn their ABCs. That's where we should be focused, Steve. Agreed. And uh, <laughs> as you rattled off the, the list of subjects or topics there, you said history. And I thought, oh, how revolutionary. <laughs> <laughs> Most definitely. But, hey, I want to talk to uh, Jason McBride regarding this whole GameStop thing that is happening. I find it fascinating, very fascinating. J- uh, Jason McBride, Senior VP with Presidential Wealth Management. This is the big story out there, GameStop. Yeah, it's it's a big talking point. And Yesterday, the stock uh, was as low as 112, and it got as high as like 488, all in in one day, Kim. Uh, Closed out yesterday just below 300. Looks like this morning in the pre-market, it's about 345 or so. But this, uh, yeah, this short squeeze has has caused quite a stir as and you were correct a lot of this was caused uh you know by message boards and they're they're saying it was caused you know by small investors who uh, yeah actually i think it's pretty smart you figure out uh which stocks have been massively shorted and then you know do something to goose the price and cause an avalanche of uh panic from hedge funds that have to cover their shorts i mean it to me, when I think that out, Kim, as long as they weren't hyping the stock and at the same time they were buying it, putting out information that was false mm-hmm. to try to drive the price up, and uh, I haven't heard any mention of that. I mean, what they did, as far as I can tell, was completely, totally legal and uh, and really stuck it to some of the big hedge funds who are now, of course, crying that the government needs to save them. Uh, when a lot of times they're the ones that are destroying people's uh, values and their companies they own and their stocks. So I say uh, just desserts. <laughs> and it is really interesting. And we've actually, I've heard instances of some of these hedge fund, uh, hedge fund managers shorting a stock and then going out and being on mainstream media and then trashing the stock, which would pri- uh, drive the price down. And so they're, it looks to me like the little guys are giving them a little bit of their own medicine, and it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Jason, we have about 20 seconds left. Recommend that people reach out to you uh, because we can see little guys can do things and have uh, financial success. What's your phone number? Uh, give us a call, 303 303- 694-1600. That's 303-694-1600. Jason McBride, it'll be interesting to see what happens this weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday. Have a good one, Kim. And we'll be right back with Dr. Brian Dimitrovic.
Predovich and company understands that the COVID-19 Wuhan virus disruption has individuals and businesses scratching their heads with a variety of bookkeeping, tax planning, and accounting questions. Predovich and company knows that you need trusted professionals to help you navigate these choppy waters. Kim Munson highly recommends Predovich and Company. Because of their advanced technological capabilities, Predovich and Company can help clients anywhere in the United States. Call Predovich and Company at 303-791-3000 to organize your personal and business finances. Call 303-791-3000 today. Karen Levine has over 30 years in the real estate industry. The reaction to the COVID-19 Wuhan virus is presenting unprecedented and unpredictable opportunities and challenges in buying or selling your home. That is why you need to work with award-winning realtor Karen Levine. Karen Levine comes highly recommended by Kim Munson. Call award-winning realtor Karen Levine today at 303-877-7516. Karen's expertise will help guide you through this crazy real estate market. Call Karen Levine at 303-877-7516 today. You'd like to get in touch with one of Kim Munson's sponsors, but you can't recall their phone number. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there, and you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. I am thrilled to have on the line with me, our guest, and that is uh, Dr. Brian Dimitrovic. He is the Richard S. Strong Senior Fellow at the Laffer Center. He is also uh, author of several books, but among them is JFK and the Reagan Revolution, A Secret History of American Prosperity. He co-wrote that with Lawrence Kudlow. I have it right here in my hand. I think everybody should have a copy of this. Dr. Brian Dimitrovic, welcome to the show. Hi, Kim. It's really great to be here. Well, uh, things are very interesting in America. About a year ago, we had a booming economy. Uh, we had a, a very low unemployment for blacks, Hispanics, women. Uh, their home ownership for the black uh, individuals was going up uh, about five percentage points. Things were really great. Then the uh, coronavirus uh, disruption reaction happened. And um, we have high unemployment. In fact, uh, Colorado right now is at 8.4% unemployment. And what do you think, Brian? What What's the path forward now that we have uh, Joe Biden inaugurated as president? Well, it's really a shame that we have to revisit kind of semi-socialism in government again. Um, but I, I still remain quite optimistic in that I, I think, the people occupying government right now are so stale and so uh, kind of ineffective um, outside of their own kind of personal demandingness um, that I think the markets and the economy kind of see through them, um, that the the business of America is business and big government's going to be overwhelmed by the productive potency and demands of the entrepreneurial American economy. And I, I still think the 2020s are going to be a great entrepreneurial decade of success in the United States. Okay, my question is, how is that going to happen when we have, as you mentioned, uh, it looks like semi-socialist or socialist policies that are being pushed by those in office right now? 
I've been concerned about how do we recover from all of this money that they're printing. Uh, they've The reaction to this COVID-19 has shut down a number of small businesses. And so I've been really concerned, Brian. Yeah. Well, about the money question, I, I actually think that's that, that's one area in which the market is going to assert itself and is asserting itself. All this money that uh, the United States has been printing and will continue to do so with Biden stimulus and so forth, um, it's going to become irrelevant uh, pretty soon because the United States is threatening the status of the dollar. Um, you can't keep doing that uh, and ruin your currency. And so currency alternatives will naturally well up within the marketplace, and we're seeing this right now, uh, certainly with, with Bitcoin. Um, I don't think there's any question. I've, I've now be- become quite confident about this. Over the next five to 15 years, um, there will not be a national basis for currencies globally. I think we will revert to a private monetary system where something like the ratio between gold and Bitcoin, as it had always been the ratio between gold and silver for centuries, um, will be the definitional basis of currencies. If they want to define themselves to that ratio, people will accept them. If they don't, they won't be accepted. So I think this is the death throes of the dollar. I think the dollar is going out the window. You know, it's going to be private money, and with private money, there will be great, great economic success. Okay, so then the next question is the Fed, central bank. Tell us about that. Yeah, I think the Fed's becoming irrelevant. Uh, I think you can see how the Fed, you know, Janet Yellen is now kind of t- testifying to the Fed in her new position at the Treasury. Um, the Fed is kind of wailing against cryptocurrencies as it says we're going to continue to print money. And what's going to happen is that's just going to force globally the privatization of the real money supply. And I think the, you know, the markets love that and the economy loves that. If we could if we could get the government out of like monetary policy, that's what effectively the government is doing right now. They're doing their jobs so poorly that they're calling forth the creative destruction of the marketplace. And that's going to be a very glorious development. I love conversations with you, Brian Dimitrovic, because you are so optimistic. I struggle with how we get past the uh, what may be happening in Washington with Biden. Uh, he's been issuing all of these executive orders. There's talk that uh, that uh, they may make states of D.C. as well as Puerto Rico, uh, thereby trying to assure that they'll have a, a Democrat majority in the Senate. Uh, I'm, I'm concerned about those things. What do you think about that? Yeah, to tell you the truth, Kim, I mean, I haven't followed the politics that closely. It would be amazing, an amazing uh, kind of violence against the constitutional tradition, the tradition of American history to make D.C. states. I mean, this is is a venerable issue in the founding period, and everyone agreed for the health of the nation that this should not be a state. And, you know, now we need a couple senators. We can make it. I mean, that's I think the electorate will just see through that. Uh, and, and I would say the same thing with Puerto Rico. I know that Puerto Rico is not interested in submitting itself to Joe Biden's tax structure. So the, the incentive for Puerto Rico to become a state does not exist um, if, if Biden's going to have these, these federal taxes. So um, that I think that's kind of whistling against the wind. Um, these people are not impressive. They're hacks. Um, I think they, they kind of represent a very inadequate attempt at big government against the creative destructive potential of the marketplace. That is really fascinating. Brian, I think one of the things about Donald Trump is whether or not people liked him or didn't like him, he brought clarity to so many issues. The veil is off on uh, the semi-socialism. You know, I think that we've kind of danced with that in culture, in education. And now that the veil is really off on what the, the agenda is, 
uh, I think that it will bring clarity to everyday people, and uh, I think that that's something that's been a real positive. I, I agree with you, Kim. I mean, the nation kind of played along against its its will and against its better instincts just because of its big-heartedness with political correctness for really a full generation until you know, Donald Trump just came and said that it's, it's over now. We're not playing ball with political correctness anymore. And that was a very positive development in American political culture, and it will, it will continue to pay lasting dividends uh, in the upcoming years. What about the cancel culture, though? I, you've taught on... Uh, university campuses. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that is classic uh, co- co- communist operation. I mean, agitprop, what they called agitation propaganda uh, back in the old communist days in the early part of the 20th century, that is in, in the, the, the essence of the communist ethos. Uh, we just have to agitate and have propaganda and snuff out legitimate voices and snuff out voices kind of overall willy-nilly just so we capture everyone we don't want to hear. Um, that's as, as old as the hills in, in communist um, you know, p- political uh, activity. And to see it happen in America is just kind of pathetic. Um, and, and universities, I mean, if universities are engaging in this, universities are in a death knell as well. I mean, there's, you know, again, a demographic decline of 2026, which is going to be gigantic. 750,000 fewer high school students in the country because of the drop-off in births. The idea that they can just call the tune, oh, we're going to do this crazy stuff, and people are just going to stop going. And so I'm, I'm not even worried about that. <laughs> I, I love that as well, then. Um, what about the uh, big data and mainstream media trying to shut down these voices? How do you see that uh, there will be pushback on that? Well, you know, if uh, Twitter and Google and uh, whoever, Apple, are, um, are deplatforming people, I mean, they're just... Uh, Kind of alerting the marketplace is here's how you compete with us. Uh, start businesses in this area, and uh, we will uh, eliminate you will eliminate our business model. So uh, I think it's a very dangerous move for those big companies in terms of their long term success um, to indicate where their weaknesses are to show them off like that. I mean, Jeff Bezos himself always says, "Look, Amazon eventually, of course, will go to zero. I mean, all companies fail, and I think this would just hasten the failure of those companies if they really draw a circle." around what their, what their market vulnerabilities are. Like, we will not support this. Well, then other companies are going to come in and support that and, uh, and be a big competitive problem. So I'm actually surprised from a competitive viewpoint that they're acting this way. What do you think about the, all the talk about antitrust action on these companies? Uh, and, and antitrust has it's been a fool's errand ever since it started back at the time of Taft and Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, you know, when they when they broke up Standard Oil, they only realized, hey, wait a minute, now Rockefeller's worth twice as much as he was before. What what are we doing here? Um, you know, he was the greatest run company in the United States, Standard Oil, uh, in the telephones. You know, obviously, in in, reg, in antitrusting AT and T, uh, the United States slowed the development of of cell phones and te- telephony badly for many decades in the 20th century. Uh, I, I don't think antitrust really has any role at all. Remember, there was the anti, big antitrust crusade in the 90s against Microsoft, right Right when Microsoft was about to step back and let all these other companies run all over the tech space. I, antitrust is a fool's errand. Why is it that uh, conservatives, I'm gonna, I guess I want to say, it doesn't seem that 
conservatives have been as creative in the realm of technology. Is that correct? I, I mean, I'm thinking of Microsoft and Bill Gates. And, uh, of course, there's Amazon. I guess that's not really tech, but there's Amazon. There's Twitter, Facebook, uh, Netflix. I mean, you can just go down the line, and it seems that they all tend to lean left from a uh, philosophical view. Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, these guys aren't philosophers, so I, I'm, I don't know that I necessarily want to judge them when they when they try to be such. Uh, I do know that uh, Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos live in a zero-income tax state, and that is no accident at all that Microsoft and Amazon are both founded in Washington State, which is one of the, what, nine states only that does not have an income tax. I mean, the idea that that's accidental is zero. Arthur Laffer, my uh, employer, uh, he got in a big fight with William H. Gates II in the 1980s, in early 90s, over ballot initiatives in Washington. This would be Bill Gates' father, um, about instituting an income tax. And Laffer just insisted you can't do it. And he, he beat Bill Gates II. And Washington still doesn't have an income tax. Jeff Bezos takes a car right out there in the early 1990s, founds Amazon. So I don't know about their philosophies, but I know how they act. And I know how Elon Musk is acting now that he's the richest guy in the world. He's moving to Texas where there's no income tax. So I think in terms of action, the conservatives have done fabulous in terms of these big new tech startups. Okay. You always uh, fascinate me because we come at you come at these in different ways than I actually had ever really thought about that. We're talking with Dr. Brian Dimitrovic. He is the Richard S. Strong Senior Fellow at the Laffer Center. And um, before we go to break, I want to give a shout out to uh, one of my great partners, and that is Castlegate Knife and Tool. They are located right here in Sedalia, Colorado. They're a family-owned business. And uh, whether or not you are a chef or a collector or um, a sportsman, Castlegate Knife and Tool has the right knife for you. And they're expanding their product range as well into watches and uh, some other exciting things. So go to castlegate.com for more information. That's castlegate.com, and we will be right back with Dr. Brian Dimitrovic. Recently, rates in the mortgage market have hit near record lows. Lauren Levy with Polygon Financial notes that the COVID-19 Wuhan virus disruption has created potential opportunities to refinance your mortgage that could save you thousands of dollars. And for those senior listeners who may be looking for another source of income, exploring a reverse mortgage with Lauren Levy may be a solution. With over 17 years in the mortgage industry, Lauren Levy has the experience to answer your questions. Call Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. That's 303-880-8881 for a mortgage checkup today. All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Americans Veteran Stories with Kim Munson, Sunday afternoons at 3, here on KLZ 560 AM, and KLZ 100.7. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I am Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That is uh, Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there, and uh, you can also email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. On the line with me is Dr. Brian Dimitrovic. He is uh, the Richard S. Strong Senior Fellow at the Laffer Center. He's the author of a number of books. Uh, one of them is, I have right here in my hand, it's JFK and the Reagan Revolution, A Secret History of American Prosperity. Uh, Brian wrote this, co-wrote this with Larry Kudlow. 
Brian, let's talk a little bit about the book. I think we need to talk about uh, the big ideas that you that you write about and talk about. Now that we have a Democrat administration, uh, you're probably really busy. Yeah, this Kim is really when when people look at my stuff most because I kind of do kind of big big thinks. Uh, you know, really, what was the Reagan presidency about? What was the Kennedy presidency about? What is the long supply side tradition about? And when kind of conservatives and Republicans and free market people want want to kind of re, reconceptualize their strategy in the wake of a defeat, I find that they they read my stuff the most. I know that Econoclast, my book on the history of the supply side movement, came out in 2009, right in the thick of the Great Recession and the new Obama presidency. And that's when I found it, its greatest readership. So I, I think we're in a, another one of those times right now. So there's, uh, that's why you're always positive as book sales are going to be going up again then for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hate to say it. No, I am a kind of what they call counter-cyclical. Counter um, I do uh, acknowledge that. I do profit most off of uh, a democratic and left-wing ascendancy, and I'm, I'm not particularly happy about that. I actually made that explicit in Iconoclast. I said that I would like to become irrelevant. Well, you're very relevant right now. Let's talk about the secret history of American prosperity. JFK uh, would not know this Democrat Party, would he? Well, no. Um, I, I really do think, and sometimes people say that I say this too strongly, I, I really do think that the, the assassination uh, was taken advantage of uh, by, by the left wing of the Democratic Party. James Pearson made this point in his great book on Camelot and the Cultural Revolution on the Kennedy assassination. I mean, Kennedy, if it can be imagined, if he had lived beyond 1963 for a couple decades, I mean, the Democrats would have been the tax cut party. Of course they would have, because he said, oh, we cut tax rates because they were too high on the job creators, and we had to lower their marginal rates so that they would deploy more of their real income into taxable form in financial instruments instead of expense accounts. He would have said that, and that would have been democratic orthodoxy, and Ronald Reagan would have never have had to rediscover the issue in the late 1970s. So, no, I think that they've really strayed from John F. Kennedy. Well, and you've always talked about the pillars of the economy, the strong pillars. And let's go through those again, because it, they say it takes seven times for people to remember something. And so okay. we're probably coming in on our seventh time on this. But tell us what those pillars are to a good economy. Sure. It was Arthur Laffer who coined the term the five pillars of Reaganomics back uh, at that time. And the first one, of course, is low tax rates. The second is sound money. The third is low government spending. The fourth is spare regulation, and the fifth is free trade. Let's go through those, because Donald Trump accomplished at least for sure three of those. Lower taxes, uh, wasn't so good on the lower government spending, but had reduced regulations. And let's see, what was the last one again? Well, free trade. Oh, and when we say free trade, I used to say free trade all the time, Brian. Mm -hmm. But what I realized is it needs to be fair trade, free and fair trade, because uh, when you have other governments that are subsidizing uh, an industry, that is not fair trade. And that's really what I think President Trump worked towards was to get free and fair trade. And it took me a little while to figure that out into his presidency. Yeah, sure. Of course, I appreciate everything that President Trump did did on that score. And you know, Larry Kudlow, my co-author, was at at his side crafting crafting that policy on on trade. I think what we've found since the '60s and Kennedy on trade is that these trade deals that are always done are so often uh, kind of croniest endeavors to make sure that inside players get what they need to to succeed. 
Uh, that's not the free trade we're talking about. And when we talk about China trying to cannibalize industries and all that stuff, I mean, I'm still firm with Arthur Laffer and others that says, you get your own house in order first before you even take on a geopolitical challenge like China. I mean, we have taxes on capital that Joe Biden is going to increase to 40 percent to 30 percent at the income level and the capital gains level. We have taxes on labor with our Social Security taxes and our income tax schedule that are going up into the 30, 40 percent range with all the regulations like in California. And we're saying that people are competing against us unfairly. Take the speck out of our own eye. Lower taxes on capital and labor, and you're going to see this economy be able to trade with anyone in the world. Lower taxes on capital and labor. With a number of his executive orders, though, it doesn't look like he is really thinking about the everyday hardworking American uh, because uh, the policies that he seems to be trying to um, put in place um, with fiat, basically, I mean, it, it's going to be very detrimental to everyday people. Well, yeah, Kim, Joe Biden is going to co-opt free trade for the, a malignant purpose. What he's, going, what he's doing is raising taxes on capital and labor so to make it much more difficult for businesses to compete. And then he's going to sign trade deals that crony establishments that have lobbyists in Washington get kind of free passes towards trade. That's exactly the wrong way to do it. What you should do is you cut taxes on capital and labor, and then all of a sudden free trade is a fait accompli, and everyone, all the capital flows into your country. Uh, so he's doing exactly the wrong way. He's going to sign trade deals that he calls free trade deals that business is desperate for, so they have guaranteed markets because their taxes and regulations are increased. Now, if, in fact, we get to election integrity, I think that people will vote them out. But it it's... Looks, uh, I had John Eastman on recently, who was on Trump's legal team, and he went through it and felt very strongly that they had proof of um, election integrity challenges. That's how I'll say it. Uh, and uh, and the reason that they didn't get anything done in the courts because was because it was thrown out on procedural things instead of on the real merits of the case. And so we as Americans have some real work to do. Uh, between now and 2022 for election integrity so that we can actually really speak at the voting booth and uh, vote these people out that are putting in these very bad policies. Sure. It's, you know, Kim, John Eastman and I are both uh, you know, occupants uh, over the past years of the uh, visiting chair in conservative thought and policy at the University of Colorado at Boulder. Um, yeah, I don't you know, have much to say about the technical aspects of what happened in in the past election, aside from, I think, that just in general, the Democrats have a greater incidence of voter fraud than the Republicans do. And number two, when you have a condition of mass mail-in ballots, the chance of fraud is higher. So just on complete structural grounds, the chance of fraud in this past election was much higher than in previous years. I will say this. It should be a pretty easy fight to win. I mean, you're talking about competing against at this kind of ballot harvesting level. Uh, some pretty, pretty you're, you're competing against low lifes. As Karl Rove is counseled, if, you ch- if you're the Republican Party, you can win this battle if you just choose to fight it. Um, I, if the Republicans choose to win the election integrity issue uh, procedurally over the next two years, there's absolutely no reason they can't win because their opponent is so uh, untalented. 
I think that there's been Republicans that have been somewhat complicit in not fighting this battle as it was as it was coming up. I remember when we started mail-in ballots here in Colorado. I think that it was in maybe 2013. And now Colorado says that we are the gold standard in mail-in ballot. Uh, and actually, up in Boulder County, they, uh, the Republican Party there has done some very excellent work on uh, working towards uh, better election integrity up there. But my understanding is, is there's a lot of work to do on that, Brian. Well, you know, as my uh, teenage kids uh, ask, uh, what is mail? Nobody knows what mail is. I mean, nobody under 50 has ever heard of it. I mean, the idea that there's going to be mass mail-in voting for this country going forward is just an absurdity. I mean, the only thing that it's doing is just pretending we live in a world that we don't live in. You know, Fred Smith, the CEO of of, uh, FedEx, uh, says that he would never buy the post office because it's the biggest advertisement for his business. The idea that we would base voting on mail at this point in time in the 2020s is just so, I mean, it, it's just it's to be dismissed out of hand that we're going to have mail-in voting. Okay. So the conservatives would want to move to a voter integ- or election integrity uh, by once again having people vote in person or requesting an absentee ballot. The left is going to be pushing for electronic voting, which that is something that can really be manipulated. What's your thoughts on that, Brian? Yeah. Again, you know, Kim, I haven't I haven't kept up with the with these issues aside from uh, just the general sense that this is a very easy problem to solve from the kind of you know procedural point of view. Like having people vote is easy, getting election integrity is easy. The people who are involved in election fraud are low lives. Beating low lives with serious people is easy. If you want to get the, if the serious people have the motivation to get involved. Um, yeah, most of us don't prefer, you know, electronic voting and all that stuff because it would appear that the kind of fraud can be hidden and so forth. Whatever. The problems are solvable. But I think if the Republican kind of business establishment really got motivated behind this issue, they could crush it. I mean, I've gotten to know Scott Walker a little bit uh, because he works with Laffer. I mean, he was great at crushing voter fraud in Wisconsin when he was governor. That's one of the reasons they hated him so much. I mean, if you just commit yourself, if you get quality people to commit themselves to solving the problem, they'll solve it. That, and there's a lot of quality people around. I think that uh, sometimes the mainstream media is trying to make people think that they're alone, but there is a lot of quality people, and we saw them show up during this last election cycle. Yeah, I, and you saw the Republicans made neat gains in the in the in the House, in particular the U.S. House. So uh, I think you know if the Republicans can kind of uh, get beyond licking their wounds and start getting interested in figuring out what it means means to win, they're way better at that than a lot. A lot of these, even somebody like AOC, seems so old now. I mean, these people are just getting complacent in the Democratic Party. They're no, they're 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 setting themselves up for failure. Well, Brian Dmitrovic, we have uh, probably about a minute left. What is the final thought that you'd like to leave with our listeners today? Uh, The stock market is near an all-time high for a reason. Uh, The mass of wisdom in the American economy does not see a serious threat um, in the current administration, current Congress, probably because these people are out of ideas and they're going to be overwhelmed by the great American entrepreneurial tradition. 
Okay. Well, you heard it here first. Dr. Brian Dimitrovic, I so appreciate uh, every conversation that we have. And uh, again, you are the Richard S. Strong Senior Fellow at the Laffer Center and the author of several books, uh, Econoclast, as well as JFK and the Reagan Revolution, A Secret History of American Prosperity. Uh, Brian Dimitrovic, thank you so much. It's great talking to you, Kim. And our quote for today is from Anne Rand, and she said, America's abundance was created not by public sacrifices to the common good, but by the productive genius of free men who pursued their own personal interests and the making of their own private fortunes. They did not starve the people to pay for America's industrialization. They gave the people better jobs, higher wages, and cheaper goods with every new machine they invented, with every scientific discovery or technological advance. And thus, the whole country was moving forward and profiting, not suffering, every step of the way. So my friends, today be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. You are not alone. God bless you, and God bless America. And I don't want no one to cry, but tell them if I don't